Many of you know I'm a true advocate for taking supplementation to optimize your health. And one of the best things that you can do is to choose the right collagen. It's a building block for your entire body. I was introduced to the Sparkle Wellness product, the Skin Boost Plus, about a year ago, and I've been taking it ever since. Having struggled with growing my hair out while I was prepping for the Mrs. America pageant, the Skin Boost Plus product could not have come at a better time. It's formulated with a special bioactive collagen known as Verisol. Verisol collagen is scientifically proven to reduce the fine lines underneath the eyes, around the mouth, and also grow stronger and healthier hair. It truly is feeding your beauty from the inside out. Skin Boost Plus not only contains the Verisol collagen, but it contains hyaluronic acid as well as vitamin C, which aids in skin health and boosts your immunity. This is super important these days. In addition, Skin Boost Plus Sparkle Wellness offers a collagen supplement formulated for joint health called Joint Boost and a collagen supplement formulated for promoting lean muscle mass called Muscle Boost. So we've got the Sparkle Collagen, the Muscle Boost, and the Joint Boost. And right now, you can get any of the Sparkle Wellness Collagen Supplements from Amazon or from their website, which is lovesparkle.life, and you can use my code. It's Dr. Fit. that's D-R-F-I-T, and that will get you 20% off their delicious range of collagen products for skin, joint, and muscles. Thank you to Sparkle for your amazing products and for sponsoring the Fit and Fabulous podcast. to the Fit and Fabulous podcast with Dr. Jamie Seaman. Hey, everybody, it's Dr. Jamie, and welcome back to the Fit and Fabulous podcast. It's a big day today here on the Fit and Fabulous podcast because today is episode number one of season two. I just want to say thank you to everybody that downloaded and listened to all of our episodes in season one. Every time you guys leave a review on Apple Podcasts, you share, you click, you like, you subscribe on YouTube. You guys are helping me out so much in spreading these important messages to the world. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for making season one a big success. Well, today on the Fit and Fabulous podcast, I have procured the most amazing guest. I had to travel hundreds of thousands of miles to find this guest and pay a lot of money. My kids won't be able to go to college now, you guys. I'm sorry. Uh, No, I'm just kidding. Uh, This person's pretty near and dear to my heart, quite, quite literally. Uh, he is the one and only Sergeant Fit and Fabulous, Mr. Ben Seaman. Welcome to the Fit and Fabulous podcast. So excited to be here. Uh, there's nowhere else I would rather be than sitting next to my true love. Um, okay. Well, what we did was we went to the Instagram world and we asked what you wanted us to talk about. So I've got lots of topics that we're going to address, um, today, but, uh, I guess we'll just start off. Uh, tell us, I think there's a little bit of uh, confusion maybe in the story about how we met, who pursued who. So I'm going to let him tell his version of the story first, and then I will correct any inaccuracies in any of his stories. Cause that's what I do as his wife. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. Tell people how we met. Well, it was a beautiful evening. Uh, the night of one of uh, my good friend's uh, birthday parties. 
and uh, coincidentally, uh, just broken up with my other girlfriend. Um, so we were in a uh, dorm room at University of Nebraska. Nothing like a college dorm room. Right. Beautiful. Um, so my friend uh, Dan had said, hey, uh, there's this girl that, you know, I know pretty well, and um, she's going to be down to hang out. And I was just kind of like, yeah, whatever. And so uh, you came down that night, and I don't really remember much about that night um, as far as, like, talking to you, but then later. Because you didn't. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but then after that, uh, you went back to your room, and uh, Dan kept telling me that you were interested in me. And I thought that he was just, you know, uh, playing a joke on me, thinking, nah, he's just trying to cheer me up because it's been kind of a, a weird week. And so um, – you kept coming around. Uh, you were busy with uh, softball at the time, and so we, we didn't just, see you. Yeah, we had just started traveling. So uh, for anybody that doesn't know, I played college softball at Nebraska, and we're a cold-weather school. Um, it's April here in Nebraska right now, and it's freezing cold. But we started playing in February. This is when we met was in February. And so we have to travel because nobody in their right mind would be outside throwing a softball in February, March, or April of Nebraska. So I was gone like every single weekend. Yeah, so one thing I remember is we kept dropping by your room, seeing if you were there, and you never were. And so um, back in 2004 in college, everybody had these dry erase marker boards on their doors. And so if you wanted to leave somebody a note, you just wrote a note on there. And so we kept leaving you notes. None of this Snapchat crap. Right. (laughs) No, IG was not around. Uh, And so then uh, I do remember you kept uh, calling Dan's phone to then talk to me. And I just kept thinking to myself, this girl's not interested. Like, she's out of my league. Like, I'm not even going to pursue this. And so, finally, there was uh, one night you asked for my number and hadn't really a dawn on me to even give you my number because I didn't think you were even interested in me. And then we ended up going to, at the time, our favorite Italian restaurant, Gersani's in Lincoln. And from there, it was uh, head over heels for you. Um, realizing that you were amazing and that this was going to be something that was very special. You felt that way immediately. This was after our date at Gersani's. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, But there, you've told me before, like there was a few like red flags that made you think maybe like it wasn't legitimate. Can you tell people what those were? Yeah. So there was a couple times that we were up in your dorm room, one of these random nights that we had stopped to see you. And uh, I kept seeing pictures on your collage of photos because, once again, everybody had printed pictures then that they hung up on boards. And there was you and this guy that looked like a couple's photo. And I was thinking to myself, why am I even bothering? What am I up here for? Sherry has a boyfriend. And come to find out, that was your brother. <laughs> uh, and it was totally Thanks, s- totally staged like a couple's photo, like, you know, kind of like – the only two in the picture, you guys were kind of his arms around you and vice versa. I mean, not like embracing, but kind of close. Okay, but yes, but you guys, you know how this was. Like, I, we grew up in the 80s, 90s, like the old, you know, photo. Seriously, my mother, every single year for our Christmas photos, it was like, act like you love each other. Well, apparently it looked like boyfriend, girlfriend photos. So I have a brother that's two years older. So Ben would see these photos. 
Because I had my family pictures in my dorm room, and he thought it was my boyfriend, which is hilarious. Because well, I don't think my brother and I look like we're related. So You don't. You guys do not look like your sister and brother, and your parents weren't in the picture. And so Possible. that's what threw me off. Yeah, they would uh, never be in the picture. It was just us. No. Boyfriend, girlfriend looking photos. Think <laughs> Olin Mills classic <laughs> mid-90s. That's oh what my it was. Gosh. Yeah. I think I even had puffy bangs in a couple of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, probably yeah. so. Okay, so uh, he asked me out on my first date on a night when I had night class. So I think I had to go. To, I had to go to school first, and then you took me out to Grisanti's, uh, which is this Italian restaurant. What uh, What did I order that night? Do you remember? Quizzing them because I do. You ordered uh, the lasagna, wasn't it? Or no? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lasagna. Yeah. Because I didn't want to be eating a noodle that I had to like slurp and be like <coughs> flopping right. all over my face. We were not low carb back then. No, that was a very carb filled first date. I had the taste of Italy, which yeah. is like a trio of like lasagna, parmesan, and spaghetti. Yeah, we had lots of garlic br- bread and deliciousness. So, yeah, okay. So he finally asked me out on, I mean, most of the story is true, but I had to pursue him. I'm not going to lie. It was. A couple months of work, I had to call someone else's phone, I had to ask for his number. I was like, are you going to kiss me? You're going to ask me out on a first date? But You were putting in all the work. It somehow worked out. It somehow worked out. Okay, so um, yeah, so we met back in college, and uh, we are going to be married very soon here for 14 years and yeah. almost together for 20 years. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. That's it's crazy. Crazy how time flies. So we met in college. We um, got engaged and before we graduated college. And then Ben started with the police department. And then I graduated and um, I had one year off before medical school. And then we moved to Omaha and started a family. Yeah. Bought yeah. our first house in 2008. Yeah. Um, and the rest is history. Thank you. This is Thank you for listening to today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So let's go to some of these Instagram questions. Um, a lot of people are asking, babe, about successful relationships, like real world stuff, like how you guys have worked through and conquered. Cause like I just said, we've been together for almost 20 years now, married for almost 14. We've got three kids. Um, I'm going to let you take this one first. How do you, how do we get through real world stuff? We've gone through lots of different phases in our life, I would say. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and every phase is different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we had to you know, go through the phase that we got married when we were 23, 24, mm-hmm. uh, right out of college. And then you started med school a year later, I was already working on the police force. And so just dealing with the stresses of, you know, having a new career, you were studying day in and day out 24 seven. Um, I think how we, well, if you just put through all those phases, uh, not only starting with that, but then starting to have a family with, the kids, I, I think we got through it because we're prioritizing communication and talking about things and, you know, never uh, letting things uh, get in the way of us spending time, uh, prioritizing that time. I think that was a huge uh, part of why we're able to get through all these different times in our lives and also continue to pursue other ones. Yeah. I mean, I think our crate, like our crazy schedule, honestly, 
works really well for us because there's never really been an opportunity in our life for things to become like bored and stale. I mean, we literally got married after college, bought a house, moved to Omaha. You were working nights and weekends as a police officer. I'm studying like 190,000 hours a week in medical school. We were really kind of, you know, like living in opposite worlds. So then the time you do have together is so special. We did lots of vacations Um, that was back when the economy was like horrible. So Ben and I used to take these super cheap vacations to Las Vegas. If you guys don't know, we love going to Las Vegas. We love, um, we love gambling, going to shows, you know, the food and all those things. But we used to be able to get really cheap flights to Vegas. And then our goal was to try to pay for the trip, um, by winning at like the blackjack table. And we did do it a few times. Yeah. 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 Yeah, It was great. It was super fun. Okay, so then um, it was really, I think, you that convinced me that we should get pregnant in medical school with our oldest daughter. Um, he always said, like, I don't want to be an old dad. And, um, I mean, we got we got married younger than I think a lot of people are these days and, you know, had our kids pretty quickly. And um, I don't even know where I was going with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I do remember telling you that, when we first started dating, uh, you know, when I knew that this relationship was going further than just dating, that if we were going to have kids someday, I didn't want to wait until yeah. we were like in our thirties because, you know, I wanted to be a dad that had plenty of energy, able to go out and play basketball with the kids, yeah. wrestle around, you know, be an active dad with yeah. them. And that was one of my goals. And so, you know, the way I see it now, um, you know, we're able to do what we want with them, go on nice vacations, you know, do the skiing trip like we did the last uh, spring and you and I were skiing right along with them yeah. and not feel like we're, you know, sore and can't be active, anything like that. Yeah. And so I just think it's also a good example for the kids that, you know, we didn't mess around. We had our goals set. Um, we knew what we want and, uh, might as well go after him now instead of like yeah. wasting years. Okay. So the original question was like how we work through stuff. That's where I was going with it. So we, um, got pregnant in medical school and you were working nights and weekends as a police officer. I only got basically four weeks of maternity leave. Your mom helped us out incredibly with like watching the baby, you know, before they were even old enough to go to a daycare. But, um, you literally are one of the most amazing dads, seriously, uh, because I, I see a lot of fathers. <laughs> um, you know, I only see them in the delivery room and things like that, but we know other fathers, you know, in our in our worlds. And Ben is just such an amazing dad to our girls and so engaged with what's going on in their life. And in the early days when our girls were born, I joke that he changed, he changed more diapers than I did. Like, that is just the plain honest truth. We kind of, like, had a deal bring this baby home. I'll feed the baby because I was breastfeeding and Ben would change the diapers. So, um, we've always just figured out how to, you know, participate in the teamwork, you know, that it, you know, I think some people like that burden falls on, you know, one parent or the other, like one's providing for the family, one's got a parent and that's just never how our life has ever run. Yeah. We had a good system. You would, uh, you would wake up with a baby. I would take you know, them into the other room change and then you would feed them and go back to bed. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was good Yeah, and worked well. Yeah, so. it did. And then we did it again. And then again, we couldn't figure out what the problem was, but. Yeah, I don't uh, know how this happened. Do you know how this happens? <laughs> Where do babies come from? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's 
What's that like having your children ask at the dinner table uh, how the babies come out? Oh, it's interesting. You know, being married to an OB-GYN, uh, there is some very graphic conversations that come out at uh, the dinner table. And you know what? And this is what I think is great is that uh, I think you and I both agree, and especially you, have taken the stance on if they ask about these things, like we're not going to sugarcoat things. You know, you were just going to be honest about, you know, this is your vagina. Uh, it's called a vagina. We're not going to call it anything weird. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is where babies come out. And I think if they have an early understanding of how that works, they're not going to be confused later. Yeah. Yeah. I, we're going to have a whole podcast on this, you guys, but I, read this book this last year called My Daughter's Bedroom, and it just talks really about raising girls and when they're young, the way that you talk to them about their bodies and their body parts and sex. And of course, like working in women's health, it's something that's so important to me um, now having three daughters and, you know, addressing that conversation. But Ben is so brave because I can just see the look in your eyes when we, we were at Jimmy John's and our oldest daughter, Brooklyn, looked at me and she's like, mom, when you uh, when you cut the baby out, do you use scissors? (laughs) And I answer the question and then like, if, and nobody knows our oldest daughter, she is like info. She wants to know all the answers. Question, 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 question. And I can see Ben's face over there. Like, please stop answering the follow-up questions. (laughs) Yeah, She just wants to keep going and Jamie's giving more information. And I'm like, here we go. And then, you know, that one night we watched all their birthing videos because, you know, with Jamie, she wanted all her births. Oh yeah, let's talk about recorded. that. What was it like? Um, so I um, had a completely unmedicated birth with um, with our last two girls. The first one I tried, but it was a horrible, awful labor. But what was that like for you? I think there's dads out there that want to know that experience, maybe. Well, so just well, number one, being there to support you was my number one goal. Uh, just trying to help you with anything you needed at that time. But to watch you go through uh, the process of having all three of our girls, I mean, it's very eye-opening, but also just understanding what a woman in general goes through having your kids. You had never seen like a birth before? Never. Like, you know, not even like maybe whatever they show on maybe TLC like a cow or like an animal of some I, kind. <laughs> I, well, so growing up, uh, you know, really good friends that had a farm. So I'd been out, you know, working around there. So I'd seen that, but it was just, you know, seeing somebody you love go through the stages of birth was quite interesting from the noises you were making to the different, <laughs> uh, swings and mood. Um, yes. you know, and to capture a lot of that on video was interesting. And then to go back and watch it, uh, I mean, maybe a little PTSD moment there, but that's okay. Um, you know, were you freaked th- out? Like, were you, um, I don't, I mean, a couple times kind of freaked out cause I felt like, I feel like I'm kind of a helper by nature. Like I want to help solve the situation. Maybe that's why I still draw on the law enforcement. I'd agree with that. Um, but I couldn't help you because, mm. That's well, number one, it's not my expertise, but also it was just a process you had to go through. And then I had to let the nurses that were there being helpful um, deal with it. And so, uh, you know, at one point, you know, when you're making these sounds that sound like there's a uh, some sort of thing that's I believe you called me body. a barnyard animal. I mean, we can uh, just say it. Yeah, <laughs> we can just say it. yeah, barnyard animal is probably a good uh, description. And then at one point, I can't remember which labor it was. 
your your mom was in the room and she was trying to be helpful because she's helpful by nature too. She was and, a nurse, so she right. just like nurse brain. She's you know, and, it's her daughter. Yeah, and so she's bedside with you, trying to whisper some words of encouragement, I believe, into your ear because you're going through a pretty heavy contraction. And I, you turned to her and like snapped at her. I can't remember what you said. <laughs> I it believe was, I said, "Shut the beep up." Yeah, I think that's what. And I, <laughs> I looked at Karen and I said, "You know, Karen, that's why I'm over here in this corner right now." just doing my thing and just wait until they tell me it's time to push. So it's funny. Yeah. I mean, I see so many different dynamics in delivery rooms because a lot of patients um, will have like a paid birth attendant called a doula. And I think sometimes it's nice having that neutral person. Um, I loved my birth team, like my nurses. um, Like I pretty much got to handpick everybody, you know, that was there. It was kind of nice working in the hospital and, and, um, and, and having, those people, but, um, dads, like some of them are so awesome and you are, but it's like, uh, and you, you know, me, like I'm a person that I don't want help. Like, I'm just like, I'm going to sit over here and I'm going to do this and like, just stand back. Yeah. You would sink with the ship before you asked for help. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. There you go. You guys, (laughs) Titanic goes down. I don't want any help. I will get on my own lifeboat or I'll go down with the ship. We'll see. We'll see. Well, and then I made the mistake during, I believe it was Brecklin's delivery or first. Uh, I had pretty much stayed up with you uh, yes. all you night. Up. Oh, wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. Yeah. What were you actually doing all night? Well, I was there supporting you and watching The Fugitive at the same time. You was watching The Fugitive. <laughs> Which is a great movie, by the way. It was a horrible long labor. It was like 26 hours. My baby was what we call occiput posterior. So she was like sunny side up and it was a horrible labor and... He watched The Fugitive, and then when it was time to have the baby, nobody could wake him up. They had to sternal, sternal rub him to wake him up. Okay, in my defense, though, he I was, was pretty told, much dead. I was told to take a nap because it was going to be a couple <laughs> hours before you started pushing. A direct quote from the nurse. And no, then, they said she'll have to push for a couple hours. Okay, well, anyways. But so I didn't. They thought I was dead, and Jamie thought she was a widow already. Thank God so. he woke up. Thank God he woke up. And the funniest part, I remember this. He was filming and um, he was holding one of my legs and like the baby comes out and he's like, oh my gosh. And he just like drops my leg. <laughs> I was so excited to Thankfully, see. Thankfully you didn't drop the baby or the camera. So, yeah. But yeah. then th- that that's another cool part. And for any dads that are listening. But we mean, didn't know we were having. No, it was a total surprise. Um, I was convinced it was a boy. And I think it had you confused then when I said it was a girl. Oh, yeah. Um, when she came out. But uh no, that's the other cool part is, you know, when you get to go through that process, you know, with you and whoever's listening with your own wife, um, you know, then I got to cut the umbilical cord. And that was probably one of the most uh, fond memories I'll have of that, just being able to participate in that. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's move on from uh, from birth. Okay. Somebody says, what do you two argue about the most? You get I'll- this one first. I'm interested. I'm very interested to hear this answer. Let's see. Um, it usually has something to do with, uh, well, going back to the helping thing, like sometimes um, I feel like I want to help you with something, but then you push back and it's, no, I can do it on my own. And I think it happens quite a bit, like if we try to do projects together. 
Mm. Um, you want to take control of the situation, and I'm Nothing trying to like like assembling something with a thousand parts to yeah. test your marriage. Um, and we've built tables together and other wood structures, yep. um, and they turned out great. But you know, there definitely was times, not only just with that, but um, other things that pop up that you know I'm trying to feel like I'm contributing, and you just totally shut it down like nope I'm taking over and that's just kind of your type a personality so we really argue about dumb things it is like we don't have like you know not we don't have arguments over finances or anything like that money nothing like that because yeah. uh, I would say for the most part we're pretty squared away as far as an agreement on finances and that sort of thing so yes, I run the house yeah <laughs> he does what I say listen no. and that's how good households run is you know, happy wife, happy life. So, well, but there's things that I'm in charge of and then things that you're in charge of. Right. Like I just threw out an example. Like I run, you know, like the banking stuff, but you're in charge of licensing vehicles Mm -hmm. or I'm in charge of, I don't know. I mean, there's, I feel like there's like things that we both take ownership of, but we try to do our equal parts. Yeah, like I do the trash. Um, if there's I can any... take out a trash bag. Don't I... act like I don't take out the trash. Where do you throw that trash, though? Um, outside the door, and then he takes it to the trash yeah. bin. <laughs> so you don't complete the process is what I'm saying. But uh, I did, got it halfway. <laughs> I got it halfway. Uh, well, and then I handle, like, appointments. Like, if we have people coming to the house, like, for yeah. random things, I'll handle that. Um, you hate talking to car dealers, so I usually handle that, mm-hmm. uh, which I hate it too. No, no offense to car dealers if any car dealers are listening, but I just, it's so painstaking talking to people yeah. that are in that business. Even but, when it comes to parenting, you know, um, yeah. because of our crazy work schedules, like um, he used to come home when he worked nights and then, you know, like I would do the morning routine and like you would do the nighttime routine and like you do a lot more bedtime than I do because... A lot of times I'm trying to wrap things up at the end of the day and, um, and I wake up super early. So you know, I think we like tag team in that regard too, even with parenting. Well, and the girls are still at the age that they request to be carried upstairs and I'm not gonna lie. I kind of like it. Not only it's, especially with Brecklin, who's almost 11, uh, it's a good workout going up the stairs with her, <laughs> but then, you know, Kimber's a little chunk among, so she's. I think she's over 70 pounds now. I mean, how do you say now. no to them? I mean, you can't. Daddy, like, carry and, me. And there's going to be a day, hopefully not soon, but that comes and they don't want to do that anymore. Yeah, so. and all three of our children sleep in the same bedroom. We uh, built the house that we currently live in in 2016 so they could all have their own bedrooms. <laughs> and all three of them sleep in the same bedroom. So wait, hold on. You didn't, you didn't answer that part of the question. Oh, what do we argue about most? Well, we argue about dumb things. I could probably count on one hand the amount of major conflicts we've ever had and they I'm not even sure what they were about like that's how silly a lot of our arguments are but I mean I think most of the time when we argue it just comes down to like probably lack of communication which is probably what most people struggle with and I think I think you nail the rabbit on the head our personalities Ben is a uh resolution seeker we found this even when we went through uh, marriage counseling before yeah. we got married um, yeah. with our pastor. 
Ben will not go to bed until like things are resolved where I would storm off and go to bed. And Jamie wants to storm off, go somewhere else and like think about it for 24 hours. Well, cause I just, I'm just the personality type that if there's a problem, I will solve it myself. I don't need help. There's, there's no amount of discussion that will, you know, fix this. Um, I might be a little bit stubborn in that regard. Just a little bit. <laughs> um, just a little. Okay. Got it. But I think through all the, I mean, I think through all the phases, honestly, like I said, I think a lot of our success in our relationship has come from the fact that we um, lived in opposite worlds for a long time. And we just figured out how to tag team our crazy circus life, you know, literally, I mean, our off days, like Ben worked Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and then I worked Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And it worked for our family for so many years. And now our schedule is so much better. We're like a lot more in sync. We get to see each other. Um, But our relationship has evolved in that regard too. Um, And, you know, over the last year or two, we've always kind of tried to reinvent our relationship. Like at 10 years, after we've been married 10 years, we got remarried for those of you guys that don't know. Our 10 year anniversary, I put on my wedding dress. We got our, literally our pastor that had married us previously we, we had a ceremony, like we invited people, we had a celebration, you know, everybody's looking for a great reason to party, but we renewed our vows basically, because I felt like at 10 years, you're different people, you're at different places in life. I wanted our three kids to like witness that, you know, they weren't at our wedding. Um, and we're going to do it every 10 years. We've kind of promised each other that, um, it was an amazing experience. I mean, it kind of took me back to that initial day, you know, and plus the powerful thing of the little girls, you know, experiencing that and witnessing it, I think mm-hmm. just further shows them like the commitment you can have in a relationship. So. Yeah. I mean, it's work. Like you don't just marry somebody and then, I mean, it's just like anything. Like if you want to have a successful career, like you have to put in the work. If you, this is like, re, this is every relationship, not just with your spouse, but like with your friends, with your boss, with your mom, like it comes down to, I think one thing that really resonated with me is, um, when we did training, you know, with Tom Shea last year, um, a relationship is defined by basically supporting, obviously being one with somebody, you know, that's awesome and spiritual and symbolic. But what, what that means is essentially like understanding what your partner's physical, intellectual and financial goals are. Mm -hmm. And like, how do you support those and vice versa? And as our life has kind of evolved and our different careers and different businesses, and now we have like this new business together, you know, figuring out how to support each other in those capacities. But um, one thing that we started to do, and we're not perfect with it either. Like, I don't want people to think that we have this perfect, awesome relationship because I'm like, oh, we fight about dumb things. I mean, um, but 15 minutes a day, five minutes of sharing five minutes of listening without judgment, which is a skill that Mm -hmm. has to be like learned and cultivated. And then just five minutes of like physical touch. And it doesn't mean having sex every night, but just even like hugging each other, embracing each other, like just having that physical intimate connection. Yeah. It's, I love it. I mean, just being able to have that, like you said, even if it's for five or 10 minutes, I mean, it's amazing because I am more of a, I want like a hug when you walk in the door or when you leave or like Mm -hmm. a quick kiss. Like that's just like more like affirmation to our relationship. And it, I'm not going to lie. It makes me feel good. He likes to have his butt grabbed. He's a physical touch guy. Okay. (laughs) 
All right. Okay. Let's go. Okay. Let's move on from all the uh, arguing <laughs> about what we argue about. Okay. A lot of people asked family eating, eating together. Does your family eat the same type of food? Um, well, I guess tell people back in 2015, 2016, when I was like, Hey babe, I think we should be keto. Like, uh, tell people about that transition. Like, what did you think? Cause I had tried to diet and lose weight and those things yeah we had done multiple things from you know eating paleo uh to everything under the sun and uh it just didn't seem to be working for us and i remember it was right before easter weekend of 2016 because i think we were going down to spend time with family for easter you would talk to me about uh eating keto and i didn't know what you were talking about He's like, Cheetos? Yeah, sure. Like, yeah, sure. (laughs) Uh, uh, Cutting out carbohydrates. And at the time, I really didn't understand what a carbohydrate was. Mm -hmm. I just ate whatever I wanted to. Um, And then you start talking about Prove It, which uh, has uh, ketones. Yeah, like exogenous Um, ketones. Yeah, that we were going to start drinking these flavored drinks and, you know, was going to help us uh, go into ketosis. And, I mean, you're all about the science, and I'm totally lost in you know, what you were talking about. And I was like, okay, well, I mean, I feel like I've been a very supportive partner through the years and I'm thinking to myself, all right, well, if she wants to do this and she thinks it's a good idea, you know what, I'm going to jump in and do it with her. And, uh, we've never looked back since. I mean, it's been a game changer. I, uh, I can remember even as a kid up until we started eating uh, low carb that I had migraines horrible like I would have at least four or five a week to the point that I was taking ibuprofen before we went to bed because I didn't want a migraine in the morning Mm -hmm. and since we've kind of changed our lifestyle with that eating low carb all those are gone you know I occasionally have them but that's because I'm low on sodium and so that part you know thinking about it back then was kind of crazy but now it's just part of our life Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think I can look at a hamburger the same way I mean, I eat the burger, but I don't eat the bun, you know, and that goes with a lot of things. I just don't need it anymore. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Your migraines went away. Your allergies improved. Like there was yep. a lot of things that actually n- neither of us were really expecting. I mean, I just wanted to lose weight and you're just being a supportive partner. And right. that's something I run into a lot in my clinical, you know, setting is I'll have women that come in and they're like, well, I want to do this, but I have a lack of support. Like they're, my husband won't do this with me. Like he likes ice cream or like he wants to eat bread or, you know, whatever it is. And so, um, I applaud you for, for saying yes. And here we are. Um, well, it's, it's more about lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, it's more about like, you know, at the time I'm thinking, you know, what is this? Like, I don't, this doesn't make any sense. This goes against everything that we've been taught or told. And so, but once again, it's like, I'm here for you. I'm here to, you know, support your ideas. And so I was like, you know what, if it's crazy, whatever, we'll do it. Mm -hmm. You know, just like anything we've done. I mean, sounds crazy at first, but let's dive into it. Let's figure it out. You know? And now we eat a lot of meat. Um, okay. I think somebody asked maybe about the family and feeding our kids. So we, I've talked about this on podcasts before, the girls were not, when we became keto, they were not. Like, they were still eating mac and cheese and all the things. And then I believe it was kind of our transition to carnivore where I said, okay, starting in January, I think it was like January of 2018, 
they're going to start eating what we eat. Mm -hmm. And I had this just preconceived notion in my head that as kids, uh, you know, I think as a mom, you just want to put the food on the table, everybody eat your dinner, everybody's happy and just like move on with life. And I was amazed the things that they would eat. Like I would cook salmon and veggies or shrimp and, um, and they would eat it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, Kids learn. There was something I saw just the other day that I just totally resonated with me. It was like, you do not have to discipline your kids. You have to show them how to be disciplined. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yes, because I think that's something you and I have really focused on over the last you know couple of years is just modeling that behavior. And they do. They just like, we've seen it. Like they'll come down in the gym and they'll just start picking up the light weights or they just... Mom, why are you eating that? Okay, I'm going to eat that. Um, oh, I like the way I feel when I eat that. Or I'm not going to eat that sugar or candy or whatever it is because I don't like the way I feel when I do that. So I think that it's been kind of a fun evolution as a family to like just model that discipline and behavior and watch them become their own people. Well, I think it really resonated with me was when around not long after we talked about doing that, um, that Brecklin was started reading a label and I was like, what are you doing? Like, well, I want to read how much sugar and carbs are in this. Like you're how old and you want to read that label to see what ingredients are in there. And so that was kind of the thing that hit home for me is they're definitely modeling our behavior because they saw us do that and talk about it. So that's just only going to, I mean, that's literally how kids learn everything, right? Yeah. Like they hear what you say. They're just little sponges. They're absorbing it. We never have come at the approach like that you can't have that or that certain foods are bad. I mean, don't like literally, okay, our kids eat a piece of cake. They'll have some ice cream like yeah. every so often, but we just talk about what food does inside of our body, how it makes us feel. We just lead with empowering them with that knowledge, you know, knowing that at one day they're going to spread their wings while our youngest isn't. Kimber's going to live with me forever. Um, yeah, Jamie already informed me Kimber's never moving out. Uh, maybe when she's 50. Okay. Um, but I mean, I just think that that's what you do as parents. Like you have to model that behavior and like you show them how to be disciplined and like they see me wake up every day at 5am. Like they come down to the gym when they wake up in the morning and they, you know, entertain me for a little while while I'm working out. Like they watch you work out. Like they watch what you put in your lunchbox. They see what we order at restaurants. Yeah. They, uh, you know, come up with us to, uh, upgrade and, like Breck wanted to start working out on the machines up there. Yeah. So I, you know, she's big enough now that she actually fits on the machines. So yeah. I gave her a tag and when she comes up with us, she goes around and works out. So yeah. it's, it's perfect. It's awesome to watch that. Okay. Um, let's talk about life as a police officer. Did you always know you want to be a police officer? Tell people, somebody wants to know one of the craziest stories from being out on patrol. If you got one. Okay. So. I didn't always know that I wanted to be a police officer. I had always thought I'd be somewhere in the public sector once again, you know, wanting to help people resolve situations. And I was about halfway through college and um, my mom had uh, some friends that their spouses were police officers. And so I went and did a couple ride-alongs. And once I did those ride-alongs, I was hooked. I was like, this is awesome, you know, not only because of the adrenaline dump that you get like in, you know, a couple minutes of doing something to actually being, feeling like you're making a good difference and actually helping people with their situations. And so it wasn't, uh, well, 
long after we uh, graduated uh, for college, I literally started Academy a week later and I got hired at Lincoln Police Department, um, you know, which was a great experience. And uh, for anybody that doesn't know, I actually officially left the police department in August of 2021. Uh, we open up our new business. Official um, announcement, you guys. So for anybody that didn't know, um, yes, I am officially, uh, quote-unquote, retired from being a police officer at this point. Um, but getting back to, a, I guess, crazy story, I mean, there was, you know, I could tell you numerous things that, you know, I dealt with on a day-to-day basis, Um Anybody that hasn't ever been in law enforcement would think, oh, that's crazy, but it just kind of became mundane, you know, just part of the job. Um, There definitely were times that there was close calls. Um, One in particular uh, that usually comes to mind is uh, when I was working in white-collar crime uh, with our department, the white-collar crime division did bank robbery, uh, forgery, fraud, embezzling. Um, you know, you go you go to work in slacks and a shirt, and you're like an investigator. You have banking hours. That's what we used to call it. You work Monday through Friday, 8 to 4. You know, nothing's going to happen, right? I mean, it's a pretty laid-back position. Um, and there was one uh, time where we were going to talk to this gal who was just wanted for um, – writing forged checks. And, you know, when you get in positions like that, when you're not facing things day in and day out because you're sitting at a desk inside, you you kind of get lackadaisical. And that's, you know, one of the parts of the job that you have to, like, try to stave off, but it happens. And so me and another guy I was working with went into this car dealership in the middle of the afternoon because we were looking for this gal. They had told us that she was alone. Once again, never assume anything. Um, get in there. Uh, I had my radio, but it was off. My other partner I was with left his radio in the car and we didn't tell dispatch where we were at. Big number one uh, red flag for officer safety. And so we get in there and like there's two guys that are there that um, we didn't know were going to be there, but we knew who they were. They all had felony warrants for um, pretty bad uh, things that they'd committed and so it was almost kind of like that, uh, you know, deer in the headlights kind of stop for a minute, like time stops, you know. And we realized we had to deal with them over this female first. Um, and so when my partner went over to arrest him, he was in a seated position. He got one handcuff on, and then the fight was on. And the other guy started running out, so my attention was on him. But my attention went back to um, – the guy I was with because he immediately said he's got a gun. And um, so I had to immediately turn my attention over there. And he was able to basically just like bear hug him and crawl on top of him. And I was able to, you know, pull my weapon and address him and just hold him long enough so we get handcuffs on him. And it turned out that he actually had um, a gun in his waistband that he couldn't get out because it was stuck on his belt, essentially, because mm-hmm. he was in. Uh, seated position so talk about a lonely moment I mean I'm there with uh, Donnie who you know was my partner that got him uh, in handcuffs but 
it was kind of like that. Okay, what do we do now? Nobody wants to move. Like we're all just like looking at each other. So I literally had to yell at the guys that were still inside the people that worked the dealership. Can you please call our dispatch? Like they don't know where I'm at. So that part, um, was interesting just because, you know, you understand like why those things are important. Yeah. Like super Uh, scary moments. Like, well, just like, you know, not, getting lackadaisical and not um, letting your training, um, you know, go out the window in like important situations. And so um, I distinctly remember coming home that night because I was like really late because uh, we had to do a bunch of paperwork for that. And, um, you know, not wanting to tell you about it because, you know, there's numerous things that, you know, you probably wouldn't think we're a big deal, but I just didn't tell you about because um, I didn't want you to worry about me at work. So that was probably one of the more, I would say, crazy stories about, um, you know, just being at work and having close calls. And honestly, it took that situation because not long after I got promoted that I understood to tell even like the new people coming through as well as the veterans that have been there 20 years. Like, I don't care how dumb you think it is to call dispatch and tell them where you're at. I don't care if you're going to somebody's house to talk to them about being a victim of a theft, you know, like they're the victim. Like you need to call dispatch and tell me you're at because you never know when something's going to yeah. pop up and you can't deal with it and you need people there. So Um, But what's interesting, and one more thing about that story is, you know, we um, use, uh, you know, different things as evidence against people and things that present in court. And what was interesting is we listen to a lot of jail phone calls on people, like, once they go into jail. And it doesn't matter how many times they're told that it's recorded or it's being monitored, they still talk on the phone about (laughs) things. You know, and you use that as stuff for evidence. You give it to the prosecutor and like, listen, they just admitted to doing what they did. Um, So this guy actually was on the phone with his friend after the situation telling his friend that he actually shot at us. Like I was just like. Big tough guy. Yeah. I mean, talk about trying to make it sound like you're the big bad cowboy, whatever, that you actually fired at us. And so I, of course, immediately downloaded that video and I took it upstairs, and I'm like, hey, you need to enhance this guy's charges to attempted felony assault because um, he's basically admitting that that was his intention to pull a gun and shoot us, mm-hmm. essentially. And so, you know, those are those little things that, you know, I think about when, you know, I look back on, you know, the good career I had. And don't get me wrong, it was a great 14 years Um you know, I mostly miss the people, though. I mean, the people I worked day in and day out mm-hmm. um, with, you know, some people are still there, some have moved on. But that was the part that I'll miss most about just having those relationships with people. Yeah, I remember when you became a police officer, uh, there was somebody who was a retired police officer, worked at the university because I was a college athlete at the time. And they looked me straight in the face and they said, he'll never be the same again. And... um you know, it's like you take, you know, take everything with a grain of salt, you know, just like people told me your marriage will never last in medical school. You know, people give you unsolicited advice all the time. Yeah. But, um, but like now I know what he meant because it's a job that it's life and death. Like in my new book, Hard to Kill, by the way, coming out this summer, 
little plug for that. Um, I talk about how you're actually most vulnerable when you're most comfortable. You know, like you get into like, oh yeah, I got this diet down or like, oh, I'm like, things are going pretty well. Like that's usually when you let your guard down, when you're the most vulnerable. And unfortunately as a police officer, like that could mean your life. Um, as a doctor, like that could mean life or death. And in your early career, we used to come home and exchange stories all the time. Like Ben would come home as a police officer and he's like, oh my God, this crazy thing happened. Like, I almost got shot at today or, you know, like, and not to that extreme. It wasn't, it wasn't like that, but I'm just giving you an example. And then I would, you know, tell crazy stories from my day and that was, you know, but then like, as the years went on, that slowly just like stopped happening (laughs) because we needed to be able to come home and decompress and Mm -hmm. just not talk about all the crazy, awful stuff that happens in our lives. You know, um, we both were dealing with like those extremes don't worry. Our dogs are just like running around like crazy people under our legs right now. Um, it's a family friendly podcast. I was going to say, this is uh, how normal life. Where's the children? Yeah. Uh, they're at school. But uh, what I was saying was I, at first I enjoyed hearing the stories and then you stopped sharing them. But honestly, I didn't, I didn't want to hear them. You know, it was like, just like head in the sand. Cause I could never do what you do. I, I could never be a police officer. Like, I'm just going to like throw that out there to the world. I, I hate conflicts. Like I don't like arguing with people, but it's interesting the skill set that we each have. I feel like when it came to parenting or our relationship, I always joke that he's a, he is a better parent. Like I'm, I think he's a better parent. He has these de-escalation techniques. Like he, it's funny. Like when I watch him with our kids with a conflict, like I can see him on the street. You know doing his thing. And, um, well, it's interesting you say that because I mean, I, um, doing that for 14 years, even when I became a supervisor, um, of course, one of the glorious things of being a supervisor is you get to take complaints from citizens, you know, because they thought the officer was quote unquote rude. Or you get to be sued. Ben was sued. I was sued. sued. Yes. (laughs) Um, that was a fun process. Um, but, I never liked handling that stuff over the phone. I wanted to go out to that person and talk to them and have a human-to-human contact. Mm -hmm. And that was because it changed the dynamic a little bit with people. Like if you actually were standing in front of them um, talking. And so uh, that was one thing I always enjoyed doing. And I felt like I got better rapport out of it too. Mm -hmm. um, When you're actually a human-to-human contact. Yeah. So, okay, so as Ben made this announcement, he left his almost 15-year career with the police department. We opened up this new business, Upgrade Performance Institute here in Omaha, Nebraska. Um, you guys, Sergeant Fit and Fabulous might have more stalkers than I do. I'm just, I'm just going to say that, okay? And, uh, but it was, it was a great transition, you know, for us and our life and for you to be, you know, available to go to the kids' soccer games and basketball games. And there was things that, we, you felt like we're missing and time is very precious and, you know, it was time, but a conversation you and I have been having is you have colleagues that are leaving, police departments are suffering, they can't find good applicants right now. It's not the sexiest time in the world to like be a police officer. Like what, what's your thought? Because you worked in the trenches and I didn't, but like, what is, how did, like, what's the solution to that? Like, is there one, you know, does it get better with time? Cause it's, it's rough. Well, it's least life right now. It is. Um, and 
I don't know if there is a catch-all, you know, one solution. Um, you know, I do know that with um, people that are still there and or if you're looking for applicants, um, there's going to have to be a time when you think about, um, you know, more compensation, um, maybe even sign-on bonuses. I mean, I know that there's officers and other departments that are being lured away because they're being told they'll be paid moving mm -hmm. expenses, uh, maybe even a sign-on bonus to stay so many years. Yeah, it's hard to find um, good people. It is. And uh, police officers compared to even 25, 30 years ago are being asked to do so much um, in the realm of policing. Um, you know, I would say the department I was at with Lincoln Police, we were on the forefront of like dealing with uh, mentally ill people, just mental health investigations um, in general. Oh, the people, like the stories, you guys, not even just crimes, just like the people that you would have to interact with on a daily basis. Like I was exhausted by just listening to the stories. Yeah. And it's, you know, I thought we did a pretty good job. We had a pretty good set of rules in place as far as standard operating procedures that we were able to handle a lot of those things because I would say the better part of 60% of our calls ended up being mental health related. Mm -hmm. um, and we were lucky to be in a community that had good resources that we get those people help without you know, having to, yeah, thank God when someone calls, them. you guys showed up. Right. And so, um, you know, it, it starts with, you know, support, trusting the system. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that there's not bad police officers out there. There is a bad person in any profession, there's bad doctors. Yeah. There's bad lawyers. Um, there's bad ministers. I mean, there's bad everything. When you have a profession that has almost a million people in it, um, you're going to have bad apples. And so, but you need to understand that um, continuing to say that you are going to take away your resources from the police department so they can't deal with things. Um, my question to those people are, well, what's your solution? Mm -hmm. Is your neighbor going to handle the guy that's walking around the sword being crazy? We're going to take away your guns. We're going to put cameras on you. Yeah. yeah you guys are under um, a microscope. All I have to say is good luck with, you know, dealing with that person when mm -hmm. you're just one, and you're not going to do it with words. Like there are certain people you can go and deescalate with words, um, but you have to understand there are people out there that are just pure evil and they don't care what you're going to tell them. They are determined to do damage and determined to cause fear in people and or um, injury. And so, you have to have other tactics to deal with that stuff. And it's not your mental health advocate. It's not uh, your neighbor, Joe Bob next door, that's going to deal with it. And so, um, you know, I, I think that you need to analyze situation from it's a service that's been neglected too long. Um, you need to uh, make the profession more competitive for people. So if you want safe and security in your, uh, neighborhood in your community, then you have to invest in public service and also the fire department. You need to invest in those type of positions. I'm all for if they want more mental health advocates in the profession, but you also have to understand that you're still going to need the police to deal with certain situations that this unarmed person can't. And so just to give everybody like kind of like a, um, a picture here. When I applied in 2007, there was almost a thousand applicants just for my mm -hmm. class. 
you know, obviously that was whittled down through testing and psychological exams and lie detector tests, all that stuff. That's how I knew I could marry him. He <laughs> passed the police test. <laughs> I tell you what, I I was innocent, hadn't done anything wrong, but as soon as you get that lie detector test hooked up to you, you feel like the weight of the world is on you and that yeah. you were Satan, you're going to hell. Um, like, you know, it's funny when they start asking you things during that test that they're like, okay, you're lying to me. I'm going to step out of the room. I'm going to let you think about that for a little bit and I'm going to come back and you're sitting there searching. What am I lying about? Stir your guilty conscience. I have no idea what soup, right? I have no idea what this guy's talking about. So as soon as he comes back in, as soon as he comes back in that room, I started thinking about everything that I did as a teenager, as a kid, I ate so-and-so's house. I paintballed so-and-so. I did this. I did that. Like, you just start naming Scratched anything. Scratched my butt with my brother's toothbrush. Right, under the sun, <laughs> just to, like, here you go. I'm not lying. This is all the information I have. And so I, I kind of went down a rabbit hole there. But, you know, we went down from 1,000 applicants to a class of 21 mm-hmm. when it was all said and done. And so, um, you know, I think people need to understand it takes a special person to do a job like that. It takes a certain support system. But at the end of the day, you also have to make it a lucrative thing where you're going to get the best applicants you can to do that job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thank God. Like, thank God for our men and women who serve in our military um, that are willing to put their lives on the line. Thank God for your local police. Um, We absolutely support you know, military and police in our home. Um, it's near and dear to us. And like I said, I could never do it. So I thank God that there's somebody braver than me that that is willing to do that job and put that uniform on every day, knowing that, you know, they might go to work and not come home like that. There was multiple times in your career, you know, Carrie Roscoe's death, um, your, you know, uh, Ben lost one of his good buddies, like very shortly before he left the police department. Um, in a very senseless, you know, yep. act and, and sacrifice, you know, made the ultimate sacrifice and left behind a wife and kids. And these are just, these are real world things. And, um, so it's, uh, it's nice to have you around a lot more. And, uh, obviously, you know, you could die in a car accident too. I mean, these are just realities of life and you guys will read a lot more about my, our story in hard to kill. And, uh, the way we live our lives now is a lot different. So, well, let's move on to the last segment of the show. Uh, for those of you that don't know, it's called the semen analysis. And there is so much semen on this episode. It's like yeah, double semen going locked on right and now. loaded, locked and loaded. There's okay. a loaded gun here. Okay. Let's, let's start the semen analysis by talking about that. Was there anybody when you were like, hello, I'm Sergeant Seaman. Like, did anybody laugh at that? Like, was it just ever in your career? Oh, there's numerous times that you know men or women it was a combination of both where they would re-ask what your name was or if you just said it they would burst out laughing and it was always interesting because i would keep a straight face like what's so funny like i don't understand what you're laughing about right now you know just kind of play the game right back with them it was especially prominent in my days when i worked um downtown in the bar district with drunk people nothing like a drunk college girl you know tell the truth uh there was a lot of truth telling going on down there especially when with somebody drunk um but that's where it happened majority time and okay so that's the funny story from 
when you worked drunk college days? Um, so, you know, there's so many of them that I'm just thinking of that highlight video, the the girl in the parking garage. So we have, um, so once again, our department, I felt like before anybody was talking about body cameras, we had body cameras back in 2010 and this was mostly a pilot program with the bike patrol. I was on bike patrol for a year in the downtown district. So they basically put a body cam on two of us to record video so they could cut it up later to show our city council how bad things can get on a Friday night in our bar district. So uh, our video guy at the department made a highlight reel that looks like a cops episode. It's pretty cool. Um, It's awesome. Me and another good friend of mine, Eric Messersmith, was the guinea pigs for these uh, cameras. But him and I got called to a stairwell in one of the parking garages downtown and there was a guy that was shirtless, uh, pants half buttoned on one side of the stairwell. And then I went in and found the female half dressed, oops, uh, standing in the stairwell. Oops. And of Hi, course, Mom. you know, trying to talk to him, very evasive, doesn't want to tell me what's going on, but also drunk. And eventually it comes out that, um, the guy that my friend Eric is with is the friend uh, or the boyfriend of one of her friends. Boyfriend's that, friend. She was in the stairwell with yeah. the boyfriend's friend. Um, the because, police caught them. Yeah, because <laughs> and she is nowhere around. Um, and what caught us onto this was we were walking by and some guy comes out of the stairwell and was like, hey, there's a male and female. Her shirt's over her head in there. Like, I think you should go check it out what's going on. not an assault. They were definitely getting it on the stairwell and that was somebody else's boyfriend. And um, she definitely did not want us to go find her and tell her what was going on. Um, But, uh, you know, what's interesting is how far people will go to evade telling you exactly what's going on in a situation. Um, You know, they'll walk away from you. uh, They'll run interference as far as, you know, trying to distract you. But that wasn't the first time that ever happened. Uh, We caught somebody or two, a guy and a girl, uh, people behind a bar, like actually in the alley behind a bar by a dumpster, literally right next to the back door to this entrance. People have sex in crazy places. And this was also um, somebody else's boyfriend with, a girl out there. It's like, it's never their spouse. (laughs) And of course they were naked. So, you know, there's going to be some criminal citations. Do you arrest Um, naked people? Do you let them put their clothes on? Uh, Or you just like throw them in the back naked? They have to do it with handcuffs on. So it's more of a challenge, you know? Um, He also used to have to clean vomit out of his police cruiser. Like when you icky, gross people puke in police cars, like, that officer has to hose that out. The, There's a reason it's made people. of hard plastic in the back. There's oh, a reason it's hard plastic. someone's husband, you guys. That God. You have to take it straight to the garage and use a hose on it. And that's why those seats last longer. Yeah. And why it's not comfortable to sit on those. Um, but the most awkward part about that previous story was we had to go back in the bar and find the current boyfriend standing there holding the purse of the gal. Um, and explain to him. Hey, babe, hold my purse. Yeah. I'll be right back. Why? <laughs> why girlfriend was going to detox with her criminal citation for a decent exposure. So that was kind of awkward. But, you know, going back to what you were talking about, I mean, that part of the job is dealing with, you know, homeless people, the transients, the drunk people that want to puke in your backseat. So that was a very fun time in my career. 
He used to have like all their names and date of births memorized. Okay, so uh, who would win in an arm wrestling match? I don't think we've ever tried this. We do this live, like right here. Like we just clear the table. Yeah. Okay, I'm sure he would beat me because the next, well, the next question is who's stronger? I feel like it depends. Depends on the lift we're doing. Squat or a bench? I, I don't know. I mean, definitely you have more experience with squatting, hand cleaning, that sort of thing. Um, I like pull-ups and benching. And so I would say it's more of like an equal, probably have the edge on squatting. I have the edge like on pull-ups and bench pressing. I mean, you know, upper body strength. So, I mean, I can still carry around. That's what the lift is. Yeah. All right. Well, we got to wrap this up. So thank you guys. Thank you for coming on the Fit and Fabulous podcast. Anything for you, Thanks babe. everybody for, for checking in with season two. We'll be around. We've got lots of amazing guests coming up on season two here. And uh, make sure you share this episode with somebody that you love. Um, and we'll, ha- we'll have to do round two. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. This was fun. Okay. Awesome. All right, you guys, thanks for listening. Make sure you download, like it, share with all your friends, and we'll catch you on the next episode.